Hello and welcome to the Ben Cotton Podcast, a brief encouragement for your Wednesday morning. I'm Ben Cotton and this is episode 26. And today I'm thinking about the immigration issue that's so hot in the news right now. Um, specifically this tragedy that we're seeing um, with the kids being separated from their parents and these photos of kids basically in fenced-in cages. Kind of what our reactions are to that. I'm not going to talk about the politics of it, um, whose fault it is, what the government should be doing, all of that. That's I'm just, at this point, not too interested in those discussions anymore, I find it pretty fruitless. But there's some other other things that I find that are really interesting in terms of our reactions and how people are responding to that, which I think is way more fruitful to talk about and more interesting. Um, and so, so to, the question for me is always, how can we be more Christ-like, right? That's always the question for me. So that's what I want to talk about. Um, and so, so if you're worried, uh, this is not a political podcast. Uh, I'm just not into it at all. I don't enjoy talking about politics. I don't enjoy listening to people talk about politics. Um, and so that's not where we're going with this. What, what I want to do is, is get down to the brass tacks of, of what does it mean to, how would Jesus respond? Um, what would Jesus do? How would he act? Um, how would he feel uh, about some of these things? I think that's way more helpful. So that's what we're going to get into um, right now. So I find it very telling that Jesus addressed Rome almost not at all in his time uh, in ministry. Uh, neither do the 12 apostles, uh, including Paul. And you, if anybody was going to talk about uh, the oppression of Rome and what to do about it, it would have been Paul. And, and they just simply didn't. It was not a focus of their attention almost at all, um, at least in the recording of Scripture that we have. It wasn't important enough to make it into Scripture. Um, and remember that Rome had taken over Israel by force. It was They were an oppressive occupying power in Israel. Uh, they would eventually slaughter thousands of people. Um, the, the numbers are hard to, to really confirm, but at least 3,600 people were murdered, slaughtered when they destroyed the temple in Jerusalem in AD 70. Um, and then, of course, after that, there's this intense, violent persecution of Christians by Rome following all of that. And so Rome was not, this was, Rome itself was probably the greatest humanitarian disaster um, far on a scale that we probably can't even really imagine or comprehend, unless maybe you live in certain places in the world right now that are experiencing that. But for most Westerners, we don't even have a, a comprehension or an imagination that can encompass that level of violence and slaughter simply for being who you are and what you believe. Um, yet in the middle of all of that um, humanitarian crisis, you have Jesus and the church and the 12 apostles and uh, the writings of Scripture, and they're not talking about it at all. And this doesn't mean that they don't care about it. But I think it's very, very interesting and very important for us to look at what Jesus actually threw his passion into. Um, Jesus made no speeches about Rome. Uh, he may he didn't make any Facebook posts about it. If he had had Facebook, he wouldn't be posting about it. 
Um, neither did his disciples, who at first seemed to be confused, right? They seemed to be confused about his silence because they were expecting a political um, Messiah that would come and rule over, kick Rome out, rule over Israel, bring Israel back to the prosperity of David and Solomon and the great kings of their history, and restore Israel to its rightful place of prominence. That's how they expected the Messiah to come, and they were confused about that for a while until much later, really after Jesus had ascended to heaven and Pentecost happened, and then you see that they they finally start to really get what it is Jesus was about. And so I think often we're very confused about some of the same things. They were expecting a political Messiah. We often expect the same thing, a political Messiah. So my question is, why didn't Jesus address it more? Really, the only thing Jesus says is render under Caesar what belongs to Caesar, talking about money. So Jesus was building a different kingdom, right? A kingdom that would swallow up all earthly kingdoms. He wasn't going to improve man's kingdoms. He wasn't going to go, he wasn't, his goal was not to say, okay, how can we make our government better? our kingdom better, any earthly kingdom at all, because he, he was going to, he's building his own kingdom, and his kingdom is going to trump all other kingdoms, swallow them up and replace them, conquer them in a sense. And he built and is building his kingdom with a very simple prescription, right? You've probably, you've, this, this is the simple formula of what it means to be a Christian. Love God with all that you are and love your neighbor as yourself. And here's what's powerful about that. When he's questioned about what, who is my neighbor, how does he define that? He defines it with the story of the Good Samaritan. He defined the neighbor as the person who's in need right in front of you. Specifically, in his example, in his parable of the Good Samaritan, the foreigner in need is your neighbor. So Jesus doesn't look at the government of Israel or Rome to do that. He doesn't make, get up and make a political statement about how Rome or the leaders of Israel should be the ones looking after the foreigner and treating, loving their neighbor. What he says is, you and we must love our neighbor and love God. I think that's really important and a significant point, especially in this debate and discussion about immigration. So I don't have the same responsibilities as my government. Jesus doesn't look at the government to do this stuff for us. He says, we must love our neighbor. I don't have the same responsibilities as the government. The government has responsibilities to secure our countries, make hard decisions about immigration, border security, all the rest of that stuff. And unless I'm a government official, which I thankfully am not, that isn't my job. My job is to love my immigrant neighbor wherever I may find them. That's my job. That's the job of the church, which is why I feel very comfortable not constantly spouting political opinions about what the government should or shouldn't do about this problem. It is not my responsibility. Now, yes, the pushback on that opinion, I realize, is, well, we have to be informed voting citizens. And I absolutely agree with that. That's not my issue. I, can, I need to have opinions about officials and their character and who to vote for and who's going to make good decisions and who's going to solve these problems and fix these, um, these policies that are creating such problems in our country. 
absolutely right. But that is not where my passions lie. That's not where Jesus' passions lied, and that's not where mine should be. So it's real, we need to be clear. We don't have the same—the government and me are not the same. Um, I think we get confused because we have the wonderful right and liberty to vote. We sometimes get confused with the, response, the difference between my responsibilities as a Christian and the government's responsibilities to create laws and all of that. So unless I'm a government official, which I'm not, we have different responsibilities. So my observation has been that many people are more passionate, more zealous about what the government should or should not be doing than they are about loving their immigrant neighbor. That's my, my issue. Our sense of proportion is way off, is way different than what Jesus was. It really should be the other way around if you think about it. If we're going to try to act like Jesus, that is, it should be the other way around. We should be far, far more passionate, more zealous, more opinionated, more outspoken about loving our immigrant neighbors than we are about what the rulers of our earthly kingdom should be doing about it. Your passions, not your opinions, tell you where, you really, where your heart really is. The thing that really gets you riled up, that really gets you emotional, that really makes you angry or really makes you sad or really makes you happy, that is the strongest indicator of where your heart really is. And it is your heart that God is most concerned with. Not your opinions about politics. So the question is, the heart-opening, heart-revealing question is, what is your passion? What are you most passionate about? over, in this case, the issue of immigration, because that will tell you where your heart is. So if you're more passionate about border walls, border security, government officials, the president, etc., then you are about loving people when something has gone wrong, then something has gone wrong in your heart. So I'm not arguing for, for ignorance about public policy. That, that's like an equal but opposite error. Maybe it's not an equal but opposite error, but it is an opposite error. We need to be informed. We need to think carefully and prayerfully and biblically about who to vote for. Um, I believe in voting for character. Um, the, 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 the best character that I can find, which sometimes is an impossible choice. This past presidential election is a great example of that. But that's another topic for another day. But when I see little picture, pictures of little immigrant children locked in cages, that breaks my heart. And I think it should break your heart, too. And it should break your heart long before you feel the need to defend it or defend the people that made or the policies that created that problem. Whether that's Trump or it's Obama or, the, or Clinton or Bush, because these things have been going on for a long time and everybody's throwing blame all over the place. It's amazing how much blame shifting is happening. Meanwhile, you have children locked in cages. And the Christians sometimes are the worst offenders in that arena. Likewise, your broken heart over the fact that that's happening should prevent you from using those same children as cannon fodder in your attacks against a president that you don't like. Because I'm seeing the other, that happening too. People using those images to manipulate people's emotions, to cast. Um, political dispersion on the current administration when the truth is it's pretty obvious that they don't actually care about what's happening with those kids. 
I think part of the problem here is it's a side effect of living in the information age. In this, in this age where we're constantly bombarded with facts, constantly, and it's hard to tell which ones are true, which ones aren't, which ones are partially true but distorted or, or, or used out of context in order to make someone's point or to match their political agenda. So we lose our sense of proportion and outrage takes over. I don't think we should actually call this the information age. I think we should call it the age of outrage, which is what it is. We run full tilt from outrage to outrage. The political cycle, the news cycle, runs so short now. It's astounding. It makes your head spin. Our proportions are off so badly that we get more outraged about politics than we do about children locked up behind fences and separated from their families. So I want to challenge you all today to look to Jesus to recalibrate your sense of proportion your sense of what really is an outrage, what really should wind us up, what really should break our hearts, and what shouldn't. Because the truth is, we all need to be reminded constantly that we are building a different kingdom. The success or failure of our government or even our nation is not the same thing as a success or failure of the church. And it's entirely possible for our nation to look like, at least look successful, and for the church to fail. And we do that when we start ranting, we get more passionate about our politics than we are about the things that Jesus would care about. I think Jesus' heart would break over the idea of children being treated the way they're being treated. And so, I think that reveals something about our hearts in the West, in America, that we still, despite the constant failures of our political leaders and our government, the constant failure for them to have the most basic sense of character and decency and honesty, the the constant failure of them to make policies that actually solve problems and don't create more problems, the constant letdown every eight, four to eight years of someone saying, this guy's the new savior, this guy's the new Messiah, let's all bow down at his feet and maybe he'll save us. And we have gone through decade after decade after decade of letdowns, yet we still get more passionate about those issues than we do about the heartbreaking realities of what's happening to actual real people. And so what would happen if you set your, if you recalibrated your passions to match the passions and efforts and priorities of Jesus? One, I can tell you right now, as I've been praying through this myself, because I got kind of out of balance during the last election, I think. The first thing that happens is you get a greater sense of peace, and there's less stress and less fear and less worry and less anger in your heart. Because suddenly you get focused more on the people right in front of you, like in the story of the great Good Samaritan. Who's in need right in front of me? Who are the people around me that need what I have? And you begin to focus on that and, and, and let Jesus, through his spirit, push your passions and zeal and priorities 
into that. And all of a sudden, this other stuff just doesn't rile you up anymore. And then I think you're actually more effective to actually change real things that really matter, that really um, affect and change the world around you. So I want to encourage you to do that. Just think about how am I, is, are my zeal, is my zeal, is my passion calibrated to Jesus or is it calibrated to a political agenda that I've bought into or some other ideology in the world? I think it'll tell you a lot about where your heart is. And if you'll adjust, make adjustments, you'll actually be more at peace and happier and more effective and more fruitful in your life. I hope that encourages you. Um, I hope you have a great week. We'll see you next time.